a break huh no between this and the lodge like she has to in the lodge she had to deal with uh, those those kids who who literally thought she was the devil and turns out they were yeah um and yeah and this one she's she's in a post-apocalyptic world with a really terrifying plague yeah and having to protect her son oh this poor both of these families i'm so sorry for both of them this is just no one no one was gonna no one was going to do well when it came to this movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so speaking of the movie, hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember the time we watched It Comes at Night? I sure do. We watched it, um, what, a couple years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously reviewed it last night. But yeah, I, I remember it was like a late night and, and we really weren't sure what we were expecting. And yeah, it was interesting. And <laughs> yeah, we're about to talk about it. So I'm Nicole. <laughs> I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes. And I'm very sorry for the content of this movie because, yeah, it's about a global pandemic. I know. And I, I honestly <laughs> I forgotten for... that bit. Well, it's it's funny because we obviously we watched it before any of this happened. Yeah. And and so I honestly forgot about the I knew it was post-apocalyptic. I remembered that and I remembered the general vibe of the movie. But then I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, it's about a plague, which I don't think I'll ever forget that now. No. Like, it's just that wasn't something on my mind when we first watched it, so it didn't stick with me. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird how the brain works. It is. Like, it's one of those things you never think you're going to be in one until you are for a, yeah. <laughs> a year now, yeah. almost. Yeah. I guess by the time this comes out, yeah, a year. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, what do we do here, babe? So yeah, it's going to be the normal format here today, folks. Uh, in case you're new and you don't know that, Tover's going to take us through who made this thing, shout out the cast and crew, and then I'll take us through the plot, and then we will dive deeper into an analysis of said plot and movie in general. So without further ado, Tover, who made this thing? Uh, it was directed and written by Trey Edward Schultz. This is his second feature. Yeah. The first one was called Krisha. Uh, it was a short to feature pipeline Mm -hmm. and then in 2019 he came out with waves uh starring sterling k brown renee elise goldsberry and and kelvin harrison jr from this film Mm -hmm. he's joked about how he he's like he sort of made a joke is like i wonder when i'll stop mining my family's trauma for my films (laughs) never yeah like you you've been through what you've been through and it's it's going to show up. <laughs> yeah, because wa- this and Waves are both about his dad. We'll get into that later, but they're yeah. both inspired by his own father and mm-hmm. his relationship with him. And I believe Krisha was about his relationship with his mother, if I remember that right. Okay. Uh, I may not be, but I'm not going to go look it up right now because you can watch the movie for yourself and decide. Yeah. I and mean, it's not are, about that movie. Well, there is also something um, very powerful about sharing your truth and sharing your story. Absolutely. And, you know, people can connect to it and not feel as alone, etc. So I think it's great that... He, it's a way of Therapy he's able public. yeah well he's he's able he's far away enough from it now that he's able to process it in a certain form of art totally yeah you know? and that's yeah i think it's important to if you have that capacity it's important to do that i think yeah. sometimes for some people you know it's not for everyone but i definitely put my own personal trauma and shit um from time to time sometimes i don't because i just don't want to write from that place for everything exactly but But if you feel like you're in a place to do it or if it just spills out of you which certainly happens sometimes then uh, i say go with it you know yeah it gets into a whole conversation that we could have about separating art from artists and how it's impossible but that's not this podcast right right not today at least yeah it stars joel edgerton Mm -hmm. as paul uh so we have two families here we have paul sarah and travis Mm -hmm. uh and for a brief time, Sarah's father, Bud. Mm-hmm. And then we have Will, Kim, and Andrew, uh, little four or five-year-old Andrew. Don't forget the dog. And Stanley. Stanley, I'm played sorry. by Mickey. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm sorry, I forgot the dog. Dogs deserve representation too, Topher. Dogs are fine. They are not hurting for love. <laughs> Some are. That's true. Don't, don't, don't. Put, <laughs> God damn you. Why, don't make me sad when we're talking about a sad-ass movie. I'm just contributing to the aesthetic. And just, you're creating the vibe. I'm creating the vibe, just like A24 does. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of vibe, uh, much like many of the wonderful movies that come out of A24, this is less plotty, more vibey. Yep. 
Makes I mean, my it's, it's, job yeah. easier. <laughs> <laughs> as Paul, we have Joel Edgerton. As Sarah, we have Carmen Ajogo. And as Travis, we have Kelvin Harrison Jr. And then as Will, we have Christopher Abbott. Kim is played by Riley Cuff. And baby Andrew is played by Griffin Robert Faulkner. Great. Uh, David Pendleton plays Bud. And then, yeah, Mikey or Mickey. I've seen both. Uh, play Stanley, the dog. Great. So uh, music was from Brian McComber and cinematography from Drew Daniels. Mm-hmm. Both of these folks have worked with uh, uh, Trey Edward Schultz multiple times. This is sort of like a tight crew sort yeah. of thing. We're coming. We're doing another indie film, mm-hmm. um, another independent thing. So, yeah, the people you'll hear on this, you'll know them from the indie world, if you know them, mm-hmm. uh, except for the production designer, Karen Murphy, who did A Star is Born. Yeah. Um, and then art direction was from Naomi Monroe. Mm-hmm. So, like we said, A24 was the distribution company. Mm-hmm. Um, they also backed the production along with Animal Kingdom. Uh, it s- premiered at the Overlook Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one in Oregon in April of 2017. And yeah. then uh, got its theatrical release in June of the same year. It cost between two and a half and five million. Again, I'm going to say it's five million. I always go with the higher number. Right, right. Um, but it made 20 million back. Yeah. Um, critics loved it. Audiences did, did not. not. <laughs> I think um, when I was pulling up some notes for this on Google, I you know, was through doing my research and I looked over to the side and saw the Google uh, audience score. Mm-hmm. Out of 200 reviews, it's at a 2.1 overall yep. out of five. It is not well loved. Uh, and that's dumb. This is a very good movie. But yeah, people are not the biggest fans of it. Yeah. Yeah. I We saw this when it came probably right after it came on streaming. Um, about a year after it was released. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it would have been October of 2018, I think is when we saw it. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it would have probably, I think, it, I think it had been in my list on Hulu for about six months at that point. Yeah. So yeah, at some point after it was released, but pretty soon after. Yeah. So I, that really does it for me on my uh, opening production notes. Um, yeah, it's a tight, tight-knit uh, cast and crew for the most part. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah shot in 2016 in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's about that's really one all location. I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one it's yeah it's one location in the surrounding woods. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's everything I've got to say. Other than just yeah. Again, critics loved it. Audiences hated it. And doesn't that just always happen? Actually, Great. it's the opposite. We just finished <laughs> John Carpenter month, so it's the opposite. Um, true. True. <laughs> well, not always, but yeah. Um. So yeah, baby, if you want to give us some uh some plots. Yeah. Let's uh let's do it. Let's what happens get into in this it. movie? Um. Nothing. Um, no. <laughs> okay. So so we open we open with um a very sick man. Um. Mm-hmm. Very uh pretty much a caricature of being ill. Like there are lesions on his body. His eyes are like kind of black. He just he's, it's he's emaciated. Not, yeah. He's not looking good. Um. And we've got. A woman who we learn is his daughter, um, Sarah. She's got uh, the full like gas mask on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, big old respirator. Huge. Yeah. Um, very serious. And she's you know saying like it's okay, you can let it go, and all of this stuff. And then we have her husband and her son, Paul and Travis, take him out to the to the woods. And essentially shoot him in the head. Yeah, it's euthanasia. Yeah. And burn him. Mm -hmm. So it's basically that this illness has gotten so bad and you want to prevent the spread of it. um, So you kill off whoever has it because they're not going to survive it anyway is kind of the point. Yeah, it's a guaranteed death sentence. Yeah. um, And you can't keep sick people around. You um, just can't. Consuming your food and yada yada. And potentially getting you sick you every single minute is a potential death for the rest of you yes so that happens it's very upsetting obviously they're they're mourning the loss of their beloved family member mm-hmm. and travis is having you know i mean he's he's like 17 he's having like nightmares he's you know, he's not, he, this is a really traumatic thing to happen to anyone, but especially someone who's not even 18 yet, who's not even had the chance to be out on their own. It's very, yeah, you know. Yeah, a kid with no social interaction that's not yeah. his, in, in, fair enough, strict father yeah. and his and his mother, you know. Yes, yes. So then that night, there's a break-in in their house, mm-hmm. and 
And, you know, um, Travis has trouble sleeping because of the nightmares. So he's always kind of awake, listening, eavesdropping yeah. on whoever's there. He has right a little now, hidey hole that he goes into. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the attic or something. And he can hear them from there, his parents. So then he, like, hears the, uh, the break in. Um, we learn that it's this character named Will. And he's like, I'm just trying to provide for my family. I thought nobody was home. I wouldn't have broken in if I had known, like, people were there. And there's this whole thing. And he's, you know, there's this, uh, Paul's like, why should I trust you and all of this stuff? And he's like, well, if you if you just give me enough food and drive me like here, then I'll I'll leave you alone sort of thing. Mm. And Sarah and Paul have to have this tough conversation of like, look, they know where we are now. It's safer if we just invite them to come and stay with us. Yeah. She asks, like, did he say anything about the smoke? And Paul's like, what do you mean? She goes, the smoke from dad. Yeah. It's probably probably how how he found he found us. Yeah. So they make the decision to allow them to come and stay with them in their home. Yeah. So we've so we're introduced to Kim and Andrew. Andrew's the son. Kim's is Will's wife. Yeah. And so they 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 have a dinner together. They kind of lay down the rules, like that they only go off in twos. They have two meals together every day. It's mm-hmm. you know he's and he's kind of like these rules may seem kind of crazy, but you know. Structure is important and, and, you know, having a schedule is important during times like this. Routine. So you never, if you always do your routine, you never fuck it up. Yeah. So we do get kind of, I mean, as uplifting as this movie can get, kind of an uplifting second act where like they're getting along. Travis is like helping Andrew. He like finds his old toys, it looks like. Yeah, he gets in some coloring stuff. And like we know Travis is like kind of arty. Yeah, he draws kind of like Slenderman figures. Yeah, they're really freaky. Like, what is going on? But yeah, so we get kind of, you know, that they're they're really cohabitating pretty well. They're they're getting along. It's, yeah. it's going Sarah fine. Sarah and Kim are like, like Sarah shows Kim through all the, like, the water treatment that they do and like takes her through yeah. like they're all they're chopping the wood like, and like covering up the windows and... together, or, like replacing boards that are not as good anymore. And like yeah. and Will's teaching Travis how to chop wood right. Yeah. Yeah, so so it, it seems to be going well in the second act. But of course, like any horror movie, it doesn't go well for very long. Yeah. So Stanley, the dog, runs out one night because they kind of they kind of hear something off in the woods. Um, mm-hmm. but Stanley escapes essentially and Travis goes running after him and everyone else is like, No, no, like like stop, stop, come back and Travis returns and he's, you know, obviously upset um, because Stanley's n- hasn't come home yet. And who knows what could be happening out there. And Paul is kind of like, look, he'll he'll come back. He knows the woods. It's going to mm-hmm. be fine. And then Travis can't really sleep. And Travis hears Andrew in in a room just like he, he hears him like having a nightmare. Like he's kind of he's restless. He's he's making noises. So Travis goes in there and grabs Andrew by the hand and says, come on, you, yeah. were, you were having a he's nightmare. He's really sweet with him. It's like he's like having a little brother. It's somebody he yeah. can look after. You know, he's always yeah. one being looked after. And so it's somebody he can look after. He finds him in his in, in his grandpa's old room. Yeah. So he's like, come on, you, you were, you know, sleepwalking or like you had a nightmare or whatever. Let's take you back to your parents. So he does that. Um, I guess it's worth mentioning earlier in this movie, um, Travis, when he can't sleep, he comes downstairs and sees Kim and they kind of have this like weird flirtatious conversation where yeah. like they talk about like sweets and stuff and and I don't know I I read it as flirtatious. I She asks him his age. She does. <laughs> I so, so so she already knows his age at that point, right? Cuz we hear a conversation between her and Sarah. That's why I think it's flirtatious. It also could be that she forgot there's more important things to worry about. And my my read of it is that it's very much like young aunt sort of thing. Like, well, close enough to be a sister, but a yeah. little bit too old to be an older sister. I read it as fun, but not necessarily flirty. Like, I... There's just a vibe that I get. I don't know. Maybe it's that he thinks that she's attractive, and that's what I'm picking and he's up our, on. And he's our protagonist, and so yeah. we're seeing it through his eyes, right? Like, Travis is, Travis is our protagonist. Yes, and yes, so, absolutely. So we, we see it through his eyes. I think that's exactly right. I don't really think she's flirting with him. I think... Like, I don't think she has... I don't think she's, you know sinister or grooming or anything like that no I no think no, what no. It is, that, that like... would be so convoluted in this plot that that that's not yeah. what i'm saying but i do think that there is and maybe maybe you're right maybe it is because it's coming from travis's perspective mm-hmm. and a 17 and a year old boy would who's yeah it who's that way. gonna be 
full of horny energy. We don't even know he if he's even, straight, but like yeah, but he can't even like he can't even release any of that energy. So it's just yeah, like, you know, he doesn't even have an opportunity to. So I'm right. sure you know he's got he's got a lot of confusing feelings. We don't know how long it's been. Well, then he has a dream about her on top of him, and all yeah. the there's there's a running um, visual in this movie of like black vomit vomit yeah. essentially and she does that on top of him um so, so yeah i have a lot of interpretations of his dreams sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but uh, yeah I, I just wanted to go back and mention that because that just was another interaction that seemed important so he drops off andrew at his um parents room and then the doors open and stanley has returned yeah, he he goes downstairs and sees that the door's open and he just goes up to his parents' room and is like, hey, somebody's in the house. Yeah, Stanley has returned and is badly injured and sick. And this next part I've never seen because I don't watch animals get killed. <laughs> I just don't. I look away. I, I just can't deal with it. But they end up having to do the same thing with the dog as they did with the grandfather. And now moving on because um, I just don't even want to entertain it. Uh, but yeah, uh, after this, they all have to have, you know, a, a very serious conversation about like why was the door open what happened who touched the door did anyone touch the door all of these things and then um some mild accusations yeah it's, like not the, not all i mean mild and not all out they're very serious accusations but they're not all out accusations they're hints at yes everyone is very confused at what happened but everyone has a different idea of what has happened yes. and and it's and it the, comes down to family I mean, to family. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, and, and the tensions are high. The stakes are very high at this point. Mm-hmm. So Travis explains what happened. And of course, everyone's like, why didn't you tell us this, this sooner? And he's like, well, it like, just happened. I, I did it like literally right literally, away. Right, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know when I would have told you. Yeah. Um, but and so. And the teenage brain is just a, a chaos of chemicals and it's very hard to remember exact orders <laughs> yeah memories already fail uh, faulty and to be 17 and have that ugh. yeah so they ultimately come to the decision or I, I should say paul comes to the decision that they should basically quarantine yeah quarantine as family per family right room yeah. room 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 they're all just together so then we then we get you know paul being like did you, you know, did you touch him? Did you, are you sure you didn't open the door? Like all of these things. And Travis is like, well, I brought him back to his room. I didn't touch the door, but I brought Andrew back to his parents' room. Yeah. Um, and he's just like, he's just like, oh my God, like we could all, we could all be infected. We could all, you know, we don't know what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Then that night, um, Travis overhears um, the other family talking and Andrew is very upset is crying a lot and we overhear Will and Kim make the decision that they have to leave. What if they hear him? What if, they, you know, all these things, but they ultimately make the decision that they have to leave. And then Travis goes and tells his parents about these plans. Yeah. And Paul grabs a gun and he's like, he's like, I, I just want to check on Andrew. Like, he's like, let yeah. me in, let me in is essentially his, his MO. He wants to get inside that room. Um, and, he eventually does, and then there's a, there's this whole shootout moment, pretty much. Like, everyone's got a gun, and everyone's it's the threatening. Standoff, yeah. The standoff, yeah. Not shootout. Standoff is what I was looking for. Where, you know, everyone's got a gun, everyone's... And, and the family's just like, just let us leave. Let us take enough food for us, and then you will never see us again. And they're like, I don't even know if we can risk that. Like, and once again, Sarah has already talked to Paul, and it's like, look, they know where we live. There is yeah. no promise we can trust from them. Mm-hmm. And so um, what ends up happening is everyone dies. <laughs> everyone in that other family. It's it's a very horrific moment because Andrew is pretty much... Andrew's the second one. Doesn't Will... Will dies first? Yes. Will is shot to, to death and then Sarah... After, yeah, he tries to beat Paul. Yeah. Um, Sarah shoots him in the back. Yes. And then, um, so Kim and takes Fuck, Andrew. This so hard. I cry every time I see it. <laughs> well, it's just, it's gut wrenching. Um, Very and good acting. Kim yeah. takes Andrew and just runs into the woods. And Sarah follows and shoots, ends up shooting Andrew. I think Paul shoots Kim. No, Paul shoots both. Oh. Yeah. So Paul shoots, Paul shoots um, Andrew. And then we get blood curdling screams from Kim saying like you shot me baby like you want to kill me like fine like this is all i had to live for anyway like fucking kill me and so he does yeah he does not hesitate no he's like all right um and so then they all go back to the house 
Travis, again, Travis represents the viewers in this mm-hmm. very much so because yeah. he's trying to navigate this ridiculous situation that they're all in. And he's also trying to figure out the motives of everybody. He's trying mm-hmm. to figure out. like he, spies. Well, yeah. And he was like, why didn't, why couldn't you just let them go? Yeah. You know, so he's, he's, he's us. He's asking the questions. Um. And we're following along. So, yeah. So they, they go back to the house. Nobody's happy, of course. And then we get a visual of Travis. Travis is sick. Travis looks like his grandfather in the opening shot. Yeah. Legions. And, rough eyes. Yeah. And we've got Sarah sitting at the foot of the bed. And, and Paul's there, too. No mask. Nothing. Yeah. So we can assume that they've been infected, too. There's no point in trying they to. They know at this point. Yeah. yeah. It's like they've been exposed to him too long. Yeah, so it's 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 one of those things where death was in a, is inevitable at this point. Mm-hmm. So they, I mean, the last shot that we get is Sarah and Paul sitting very, being very uh, somber at the dinner table, mm-hmm. and we're assuming that they just had to do what they did to Stanley the dog and the grandfather mm-hmm. as well. So and we see that they're sick too. They've got all the lesions and shit. Yeah, their their sickness has just begun, and so yeah, death at this point is inevitable. So just like a lot of horror films, everyone dies. <laughs> oh my god! And that's really it. I mean, yeah. again, it's it's very atmospheric and and uh, just like a lot of the movies that a 24 picks up it's it's very vibey <laughs> yeah yeah and i and I, I i occasionally use that as an insult i very much mean it as a compliment to a 24 not just no, because i, I want them to produce me someday no a 24 is one of my favorite production companies for sure yeah and it's not true for all of theirs like um uncut gems isn't that you know but yeah. um they gravitate towards when something. it comes to their horror films for sure mm-hmm. look robert eggers ari aster and trey edward schultz i mean just vibey directors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they like, they love long still moments. And that's probably why, that's probably why I love those movies too. Cause like I, I well, mm, three out of five. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that I, I, I write very similar stuff. Uh, so I guess I'm, you know, jerking myself off to enjoy these movies, but fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a rough movie. Dude, I this movie it's, fucking breaks my heart. It's very somber. It's it, it, there's nothing. Again, we get the tiniest bit of uplift in the second act, but then that goes to shit very quickly. It makes it all the worse. Yeah, you were well, saying that last night. Well, and in, in this, uh, yeah, because this movie does rely on you actually feeling something for the characters, and so mm-hmm. without that second act, it would be like, why, why, why should I care? Yeah. Um, but I also, I mean, this movie is a lot like the thing. Because yeah, yeah. Because not only is it like this, you know. I mean, the thing has more of a materialized monster, um, but um, this movie is all about what happens to you psychologically when there's something that someone could be lying about, and that when your life is quite literally at stake, and it takes less than a day for it to show yes. signs. Like he said, that's why. So we we skipped some of the details. We skipped over are good to bring up now. Yeah. Um. So when Will first breaks in, right, Paul and Travis tie him to a tree and leave him there for a full day. Yeah, guaranteed quarantine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's tied to a tree with a with a bag over his head and like his mouth. There's no indoor stored. gatherings happening. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when Paul goes to fetch uh, Will's family with him, he tells Sarah, "It's like it took less than a day for Bud to show signs. I'll stay there three to make sure." Yep. Um, that's and when they say like, "Oh, we're gonna stay in our rooms for the next day." Yeah, because like, it, you know, it catches on and, very quickly. Yeah, you would know within you would know within twenty four hours. Which is why I think the um you know the major question is who infected who. The first person that we see after Stanley is is Travis. Yeah. So we you know you kind of get get this question of of who infected who, but the fact that it's been so obviously stated that it takes less than a day mm-hmm. to show symptoms, then. You would have to believe that Travis was not sick this entire time because that would a lot of people were speculating whether the dreams was a symptom and a, a bunch of, you know, the other yeah. things that he's experiencing was a symptom of the illness. But with that fact being said twice in the movie, I think it has to be. And and again, the director has stated that there's no clear answer. Yeah, but, he's, he's explicitly stated that he doesn't give a shit about internal logic. But we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> but by the rules of the movie, the yeah. rules that you set up, if I'm really just going straight and narrow here, yep. by by the rules that you've set up in the movie, then Travis was infected by Andrew. 
or someone else in in that home. So here's what I think happened. Because one of my notes I wrote down when we were talking about the plot was um, who killed the dog. <laughs> so I, I'm sorry I have to bring it up, but there's a really important um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here. Just make it quick. <laughs> well, it looks like they kind of did with the dog. Um, when Travis... Or when, when Paul opens the door, the red door, right? That fucking red door. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. Perfect. Such good production design. Nightmares. Why, yeah. Down this horrifying hallway. Um, I'm sure that house is beautiful in the daytime, but terrifying at night. Yeah. Uh, again, great set and production design. So in location scouting, yada, 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 yada. Mm-hmm. So when the door is opened, there are, there's blood and they mention that there's blood, but the, you see drag marks of blood mm-hmm. as if it was like thrown by something and its stomach is kind of open and like yeah it's pretty gross it's really rough but it suggests that somebody killed it Mm -hmm. or had badly wounded it yeah so why are why is there a scoot of blood like it's as if you had the blood start to pull and you just pulled the dog well and the dog runs after something they hear something so does somebody and i don't know but it looked from the camera shot right it looks like it's from paul's pov right yeah so there's this injured. It's a, it's just a weird. It's a weird moment for me that has hung me up both times. Is somebody had to have killed the dog, because the dog's not able to drag itself like that no. straight back. Like it would be these jagged lines. So maybe it's just a fuck up in production design that I shouldn't pay attention to. Not even a fuck up. Just like a oh, this is a nice gory scene. Yeah. Moment, and you didn't pay attention to like oh, but like somebody had to kill it because then you have the whole question of who opened the door mm-hmm. because it was unlocked and it can only be unlocked from the inside. Yeah. Well, and I guess yeah, it could... because of the bolt lock, right? Not because of... Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and, and I guess the question is, if, if it can only be opened from the inside, then, like, did someone open the door and saw the dog right outside the door and dragged it in? Or did... Is whatever killed the dog, like, supernatural and could open any door if it wanted to? Yeah, and so... Yeah, like, I've got I don't a, know. So I don't know. But I think that Travis did go in the room. And I think Travis got sick from Stanley. Wait, you think... Oh, you think Travis went into... Went behind the red door. Mm-hmm. And, and touched Stanley. Yes. And got sick from Stanley. Yes. Because he's woken up by the dream of Kim getting him sick. Mm. That's what wakes him up. Mm-hmm. Then he finds Andrew... Then he finds the open door. Now, because Travis is our narrator, our, 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 our protagonist, our eyes in mm-hmm. the movie, we are left with unreliability because we have somebody who seems to have precognitive powers. Yeah. It, like, they're nightmares, and they're called nightmares in the synopsis, and um, Schultz calls them nightmares. They feel very precoggy. Yeah. Um, what wakes him up to tell his parents that he's... Uh, th- like what wakes him up and how he hears uh, Paul and or Will and Kim arguing and Andrew crying is the dream of his grandfather yeah. infecting him. Mm-hmm. I think he's been sick. Yeah. And I think it happens the moment that he, I think he sleepwalks to that door. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of that sort of like, it, it's unclear. And again, Schultz doesn't care about it. And he said that out loud. He, he said that in multiple interviews that he doesn't, want to give those answers and he doesn't have them himself mm-hmm. that it was just sort of the way the movie needed to go mm-hmm. and that's fine yeah um <laughs> uh i disagree but okay and like yeah it's i think it, i think it was stanley and i think or not stanley i think it was travis mm-hmm. and then everybody at that table got sick in yeah. that moment because yeah. travis wears up and down he didn't go in that room mm-hmm. and will and paul both have their masks and gloves on yeah so i think it was travis and I think he doesn't remember doing it, but I yeah. think he did it. Yeah, I mean that would and make sense. I think sense. everybody just gets infected at the dinner table when they have the family meeting. Again, it's all again, it's all um, up to up to interpretation. But it would it would make sense that the uh, protagonist that it happened to him because yeah. you wouldn't put you wouldn't put so much focus on someone if they weren't going to be a major plot motivator at some point. Yeah, um, and like a lot of protagonists, the plot happens to them. Um, yeah. And I think it is this it is the case here, but he happens to be like the, I think that he happens to be the patient zero of yeah. the final moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's right. I, I like maybe it's not, but you know. So it's it's 
the first time I thought it was Andrew who had been sick the whole time, but this time I picked up on all the one day, one day, one day, one day stuff, mm-hmm. and that Andrew had always been sick. Yeah. And like maybe it moves slower in kids. Who knows? We don't have those answers. And it right. could have always been Andrew that was sick, and they were all doomed from the start. Mm-hmm. But I think it has to be Travis. I think because he keeps having dreams of being infected. Right. Um, and he does at least, whether or not it's true that he's precognitive, he does seem to have some sort of supernatural power for what's going to happen. Yeah. So that's kind of my my thought. Yeah. Yeah. And this movie is interesting because it says it says a lot, but it also says nothing at the same time. Yeah. Like, I, I had a, a note that says double moments. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I you were you were going to talk about kind of the leaving things open ended, the whole um, what you yeah, should. Yeah. Yeah. What you should give your audience as a as a writer director and what you know, what you owe. Right. Yeah. Totally. So I guess to, to lead into that, I want to have a set another conversation that we had set down in the in the doc docket, um, which was talking about what the movie is actually about. Right. Right. Because um, I think that'll lead nicely into my points I want to make. So the movie, as we've sort of said already, is about the death of his father. Mm-hmm. Right. Of Schultz's father. When yes. he wrote it, he it was just out. He started writing it two months after his dad died, mm-hmm. um, and they had been estranged for about seven, like seven years, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then reconciled while his father was on his deathbed. Yeah. Two months later, Schultz writes this movie. So the movie's about depression and isolation, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not just the depression. And I think it's those two together, right? It's not just like writing a movie about depression. Like Babadook is a movie about grief and loss. Right. This is the isolation of being lo- of loose of loss, right? A hundred percent. And I think that that is certainly something that we've all explored in, you know, the past year or so at this point. So it's, it's again, it's interesting. It's what happens to your psyche when something like this happens. And of Mm -hmm. course, this movie's to the nth degree. This movie, we've gone back to like provincial times. Like we've gone back to like the old, the frontier or some shit. Yeah, they're living um, in the woods of upstate New York. Um, they have to literally scavenge for everything. Yeah, everybody's abandoned the cities. You know, they're they're living off canned food and what they can grow and mm-hmm. what. But you know, they can't hunt because yep. the animals might be infected. And so, like, yeah, everybody's gonna be vegetarian in the future. Right, right. <laughs> Which, you know, and great. Um, yeah. So I I think that. Again, like I was saying, the, the how this relates kind of to the, the thing um, mm-hmm. is that that is all that also weighed heavy on those men's psyche in that situation, and it makes you do things out of pure survival and things that you probably never thought that you would do or be capable of, or yeah. be capable of. But once you are literally at the life or death situation and the yeah. things that you have to do you it's really hard to trust people it's really hard to figure out and make decisions and this is kind of just one of those tales where they had to make really hard decisions and it's also emotional when your family is involved and you have to protect your family and so two families living together and then having to protect their own yeah it all just becomes a mess yeah and you it's it Man, it's really hard watching this movie because, like, Paul. I have a lot of thoughts about Paul and Sarah because um, <laughs> they're they're the ones we know the most about. Yeah. Other than Trav, after Travis, mm-hmm. and probably actually we know the most about Paul and then Will. But anyway, so Paul and Sarah, like, Paul sets him up as like Mister Rat. He sets himself up as Mister Rational, Mister Strict. Yes. Sarah's I'm the, the one. man of this family. I have to keep it going. Well, yeah, and it's funny because he's like, I was a history teacher before this. If you want to know all about ancient Rome, I got right. you. Um, we don't know what Sarah did, I don't believe, which sucks. I don't think it comes up. No. Yeah, it happens with Kim too. Like, it's a it's a failure of a lot of uh, male identifying writers. Women don't they, have careers. Yeah, yeah, it, it's very frustrating. Um, so, but we know. That Will was kind of a jack of all trades, but like working class guy. Yeah. And Paul was a history teacher. And we know that Will was from the city and that Paul probably lived, they probably lived around, this may even be their house, you know, mm-hmm. their, this may be their original house. Maybe. Or who knows if they found it or whatever, but they're, they seem pretty well acquainted with it, moved in. And it doesn't seem like the pandemic's been going on that long. Mm-hmm. I would put it at like a year, maybe two. Yeah. At most, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the fact that they still have canned food supplies and they don't have animals that they're using. Yeah. And like a clear garden. Because that's one of the big selling points on Will and Kim is that they have two goats and a bunch of chickens. Yeah. Which means a reliable source of like food and protein and things like that. Yeah. Anyway, so we know a lot about Paul, but Paul sees, I think Paul's sort of like the the intellect, so, so to speak. Yeah. Right? He's the brain. He's he's the emotional intellect of the of the crew. Yeah. I think Paul's the emotional one. Sarah's the rational one. Because every single time, Paul's like, well, don't be emotional about that. She's like, I'm not being emotional. I'm saying the only rational decision is to bring Will and Kim in when they yeah. have that conversation. She's like, they know where we are. They know how to find us. They can come back. What happens when they get desperate? And she says the same thing at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Of like, they have to stay. Yeah. and There's no option, but we need to know if Andrew's sick. Yeah. And Paul's... Paul is like, yeah, you when Travis is questioning why why anything is happening, Paul's like, you haven't seen people truly in desperation. Yeah. And what that does to someone. Mm-hmm. Which again goes back to like the psyche thing. Like these people probably would be totally fine with each other if this whole shit wasn't well, they'd going be down. Super friendly fucking neighbors. They'd, they'd be, be having wine, they'd be having yeah. a good time. But it's it's the fact that all of this shit weighs so heavy and it's it something that you. you it's something that you have to think about every second of every single day mm-hmm. like with with covid we certainly have to think about it but i mean when we get on the subway when we leave our house yes but like if you are in that privileged position where you don't have to leave your house you don't necessarily have to be as worried it's, about it yeah and i'm not trying to downplay how horrible COVID has been. No, but, it's And you're not either. Been. I'm not accusing you of that either. No, just, this, this is, is, this is, I'm, what I'm more so saying right now is that this is to the nth degree. This is, yeah, this is Black Plague levels. Yeah, this is, this is completely, you have to be thinking about this every second of every day. We are so, COVID has been like, I mean, astronomically terrible, but we've, we we've at least been able to get food. Mm-hmm. We've been able to, we have certain systems in place a lot of the systems have failed us, obviously, but we at least have, we're scraping by here in, in a better way than these people are. Like you said, this is like Black Plague territory. This has taken a it's modern... It's truly end of the world. They say the grid's down. Like there's no yeah, electric, there's, there's no electrical grid. Yeah, yeah. This is truly end of the world apocalyptic shit. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Like not, they're, they're, not they're downplaying using solar COVID and at all. solar only for power. Solar and batteries, you know. Yeah, yeah. not downplaying COVID at all. No. no. Would never do that. But this is a different situation. This is, is yes. Saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it, it being about depression and isolation, and that's where he's writing it from, and that's why these characters are the way they are, mm-hmm. that all makes sense. So that's all very good internal logic. So I want to say that. I think that's a very successful mm-hmm. sort of double film, right? Yeah. Allegorical, whatever you want to call it, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's as successful as The Babadook in terms of like using a horror film to describe human emotion. For sure. Yeah? Yeah. And still be an entertaining movie. Mm-hmm. So where it fails for me, mm-hmm. is a lot of the openness. Now, this came out the same year as Avengers Infinity War. Mm-hmm. And, this, and I'm going to get yelled at by somebody. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Just hear me out. Two very different movies on the surface. Mm-hmm. And there are important differences that I will mention. But one of the big things for me is a lot of the reason that audiences don't like this movie is because there are zero answers to any of the questions they have. Yeah. Right? It is a movie that is intentionally open um, and Schultz has said that he's like, I love movies that have a sense of openness to them because I'll come back to them years later and find something new and somebody else can find something else in it. And I'm like, right. But you explicitly wrote it about one thing. That's why I wanted to do that first. You explicitly wrote it about one thing. He's kind of the opposite of like what David Lynch says. Yes. Because David Lynch is very, um, he's very, I made the thing. I don't need to talk about the thing. It speaks for itself. Well, he deals and- with surrealism. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, I, I said what I needed to say with the movie, or else I wouldn't, ha- it wouldn't be finished. He's yeah, like, I, I wouldn't finished, have printed it. <laughs> I finished the movie. I don't, I shouldn't have to talk about it because it speaks for itself and it exists as it's as one. And Schultz is kind of saying like, I want to keep going back to this and see what I find and see what I find and 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 keep talking about it and keep the conversation open mm-hmm. and and alive and all of these things. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. One is you know like whatever. Um, it's just a difference in opinion on how to make a film. Yeah. And I also, so I think there's a little bit of pretension that comes in here. And yeah. David Lynch is pretentious, but that's fine. Oh my God. Yeah. But he owns it. He's fine with it. He's also just a goofy guy who does weather reports. Yeah. He doesn't take himself seriously. He takes his art seriously. Yes, that is right? very true. I would agree I think with that, Schultz yeah. does 
both of those things. He, he takes himself seriously and his art seriously. Yeah. Uh, Lynch or uh, Carpenter, who we just finished talking about, takes his art seriously, but not himself seriously. Yeah. Um, it, like, there's plenty of great directors that we can point to who can say, I care so much about my work that I do everything about it. Yeah. Schultz says, I care so much about the vibe, I guess. I keep coming back to that word because it is like, he told the story he wanted to tell, and that's great. That is his choice as an author. Mm-hmm. That is what he that's what he owes himself mm-hmm. is to make good work. I think what a lot of writers and directors fail to remember or consider or give a shit about, even if they do consider, they're like fuck that, is what the what role the audience plays in public work. Yeah, and by that I mean so going back to Lynch. Lynch knows that once he prints it, it's out of his hands. Right. Yeah. Once it's out there, it's out there. And there's no... He understands the Pandora's box nature of art that's made for the public. Mm -hmm. Which is why he doesn't want to go back and discuss it. He's like, it's not mine anymore. It is the public's. He said that. He's like, it's the public's film now. It's not my film. I did the thing and I let it go. Yeah. Schultz says, I don't want to talk about this because I don't have the answers and the answers don't matter. Yeah. And I think that's somewhat true and somewhat not true. Yeah. I think you owe it to the audience. And I'm going to say this uh, straight up and down that I think you owe it to an audience to at least figure out the internal logic of your own film, whether or not you choose to divulge those secrets. Right. You can hold on to them for as long as you like. You are not obliged to share them. Yeah. I think you are obliged to know them. And I think he doesn't know. Gotcha. I think that's why this movie, when you really start pressing on it, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like crepe paper, right? Yeah. It's very pretty in parts, and then you poke it, and it's there's just nothing behind it. Gotcha. In moments, right? Yeah. Not the whole thing. The whole thing is beautiful, and I love it. If you if I look at this movie as a whole, fantastic. Right. But once you start picking at it, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, it's, it's one long thread that no one ever tied off. Right. 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 And so I think audiences are justifiably upset that he doesn't have answers. So I'm now going to go back to Infinity War, right? Marvel yeah. fans are obnoxious. I am one of them, but I'm not in this way. So, like, WandaVision, WandaVision is happening right now. Yes, and I have not seen it yet. It is very good. But to see people talk about it online is exhausting. Like, who has the time? Yeah, I very casually watch Marvel films. Like, if I get to it, I get to it sort of thing. Like, I always enjoy them mm-hmm. when I watch them, some more than others. But I, I wouldn't say I am would ever take to the internet to write about yeah. it, personally. And- yeah, so I've been a comics book fan for a long time, brag. Mm-hmm. Oh, and my God. <laughs> since I was a little kid. So I'm going to say because of that, I understand that comics are inconsistent and contradict themselves all the time. And it's really cool to look at all the details of them, but don't expect them to match up in a line. Yeah. I also know that most of those writers know what the fuck they're doing mm-hmm. and may leave things open and interesting Mm-hmm. as a cliffhanger or a bait or a, hey, we don't have time to explain this because it's a movie and it can only be so long, even though Endgame was three something hours long. Um, I mean, yeah. How can you expect everything when there are so many plot points to tie up? Absolutely. Uh, like, <laughs> But where Infinity War succeeded, and I think this fails, is that Infinity War knew its internal logic. It yeah. left on a very open, very unsatisfying note, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And sorry if you haven't seen it, but it's been four fucking years and Disney Plus has been up for a year and whatever. Yeah, no, we've passed the point where we're the assholes for giving you spoilers yeah. for that. Sorry. Um, it was. I, I can't believe you didn't see it if you didn't because it made billions of dollars. Yeah, so exactly. At the end, everybody's, you know, half the half the world is gone and they're dust and we don't know what happened to them. Are they dead? Are they not? Who? Whatever. Yeah. The difference here is that they had answers and they promised at least some answers in the sequel. We knew yeah. there was a sequel and we knew they would answer a majority of those or enough of those questions to satisfy us. Yes. There's also things that you could pick at and look at and find and theorize about and find your own answers for. They have that openness in there too. Like mm-hmm. what does this line mean? What does this thing do? And I bring up the WandaVision thing because people are fucking picking it apart. Yeah. And being like, oh, I saw this. Like someone's like, it's going to introduce the Fantastic Four because I saw this circle symbol and the sword symbol looks like that. And it's everywhere. And they keep pointing to the number four. And I'm like, oh, okay, shut I the hate fuck that, up. I hate that they ever did any sort of Easter egg thing because now people are just yes. making mountains out of molehills, like trying to mm-hmm. find things. And I'm like, just enjoy the movie, man. God. Yeah. You know, like we're, we analyze movies and I could, I would never do that. If I was like that, I would quit my, I would quit this job. I would never do it it's again if I started too being much. like that. Well, there's always, 
always a line. There's always a yeah. line. Like I love analyzing movies, but I'm not going to do I, that. Yeah, I hate Easter eggs. Honestly, I fucking hate them. I will never put them in anything I write. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, everybody wants to, it's like, everybody thinks it's a scavenger hunt and every, yeah. and a lot of people because of Marvel. Well, and everyone and, wants to be right. Everyone yeah. wants to find the right answer. And they want to find the evidence for it. And that's a good thing. But yeah, uh, it's got people can think like, Marvel has got people thinking about every movie in a conspiracy mindset. Like I saw something yeah. online about somebody who they go into it with that mindset. People yeah. are waiting for post-credit scenes after every single movie now. Like people who work in movie theaters are like, "Please go home. I need to clean this before the next screening." And for you're just sure. sitting here, and you're. I can tell you, I'm here ten hours a day, and there's no post-credit scene. I've seen this movie twenty fucking times. I know it's not there. Oh my god! <laughs> and I come in to clean during the credits. Anyway. So that's bad. And that's where the audience is wrong about this movie. Yeah. Schultz is wrong because I think he does owe us knowing some answers about it. He It makes you a better writer to do that. Right. Not knowing the internal logic of your own film is a failing. Mm-hmm. It's not a film school thing. Mm-hmm. Like you're not right because of film reasons. You're wrong because of asshole reasons for that. Right. Does that make sense? Like I'm not, I'm not really mad at him, but I want him to sort of, you know, chill. <laughs> yeah yeah that there, your, your head is up your own ass and i would like i would like you to remove it at least slightly right um and to piggyback off of that um since i i tend to i tend to take care of the characters on this podcast i think yeah. it's just because it's it's what i really look at when mm-hmm. i'm watching a movie um i don't look at narrative or plot as much it's more of like how the characters are interacting with the plot and the, right. and everything um and, and each other it, yeah I think he, I think it was, I want to say it was intentional the way that he wrote these characters because we have gone back to, again, like kind of the frontier provincial yeah. area um, of our timeline as as homo sapiens. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's kind of written traditional male uh, woman, man, like, Mm. Um, like how the men are like chopping wood and the women are always in the house and purifying the water and taking care of the, taking baby. Care of the baby. And like, you know, he's, I think I want to think that, that, that that was intentional. Yeah. To, to really lay the, like weave the fabric. Right. Yeah. Um, set the world up is what I was trying to think of. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't want to, I don't fault him for that because I do actually think that that part was intentional was writing writing these very like like if we're back in these times like we're writing very like uh, you know um very boring and bullshit gender norms but yes but i do also understand why that could aid the world that he's built yeah he could have done more I mean, this with, whole thing is again it, it, the whole thing is make believe. So you yes. could have done he could have done whatever he wanted. Yeah. Um. But I don't think it was a slight. I think it was intentional. Is all yeah. I'm saying. And I think I think he wrote a very, I think Travis is a very endearing character. Again, oh, I love we, him. Immediately, we feel like we are Travis again because him, yeah. We, we yeah we want we want Travis to be okay. We feel like he's the one who's missing out on so much. I mean, I have it right here. Um. Kim represents what Travis will never have. Yeah. Ever. He yeah. will never have. And it's, he it's her and Will and Andrew represent what he'll never have. Yeah. He'll never have a family. That's why he, I think he, there are moments where we see him kind of look at them. Yeah. In, when he returns that, Andrew that to that the longing, room, that's what I was thinking about. That longing way of just like, yeah, I will never have this. I will, I will never even have friends again. Yeah. Much less a significant other and child. He lost his only friend, which was his grandfather's dog. His parents will eventually die. They are older than he is. He's a he. Yeah, he's utterly alone. Yeah, and he's having to deal with that with a seventeen-year-old brain. Yes. So he, sorry, I was cutting you off, a, but yes. No, but he he did a really great job of writing this character that we automatically feel for. I mean, it's it's what's happened to everyone in this narrative is is catastrophic, but yeah. especially to someone who has not even had the chance to. Spread their wings, as someone would say, <laughs> um, has not even had a chance to be away from what he is, his upbra- upbringing was, yeah. which is a huge chunk of formative years. Absolutely. You know, like you, you have you have the moments when you're going through puberty and then your next moments, I would say, is when you move away um, from everything you've ever known. And, or you just, you know, you, you, you move out of your parents' house. That's, that's, those mm-hmm. are formative years when, when you are figuring shit out on your own. And then probably your next one is when you're, you know, 
going through your midlife crisis. I don't know. Right now? Um, I, yeah, I don't <laughs> <for> know. <me. laughs> I don't know. Um, but like... Yeah, and I think the characters are really well done, it, despite the fact that I think the women are underdeveloped. I still am going to fault him a little bit for that, just because he could. it's a throwaway line. You yeah, know, yeah. even if you're setting up this like provincial world, which he is, I think you're absolutely right that that's what he's doing here. Yeah. That we're getting into like, it's like the witch, right? Like it's the same traditional gender roles that we've seen. Yeah. Um, and I think that's fair for the world he's building. I think that's uh, absolutely okay. That's also his choice. I'm not going to fault him for that. Yeah. It takes one conversation between Sarah and Kim to talk about what they did before. 100%. It could have that's been a, a half scene. Yeah. And it's already, the movie's only, a, a, what? 91 minutes yeah yeah it's you you had time yeah uh yeah plenty of time to work with and i think that that's just it's it wouldn't even add it would add 30 seconds to the movie and i just think that like if you don't do that and maybe it's on the maybe he wrote that and it's on the editing room floor but he was also the editor of this movie so like Eh, mm. yeah so he still would be at fault yeah yeah i i do think the women are definitely underdeveloped and and i i don't I, you you just you feel bad for every single character in this movie because no one is in a good position. Yeah. No one knows what to do and you can't even put yourself in those shoes because you you just you can't say, "Oh, well I would do this. I wouldn't do that." You don't yeah. know. You don't know. 100% no because this is this is beyond <laughs> what we've experienced in a very long time. No one in the no one in America in the 20 20- 20th and 21st century has experienced this exactly so um, or it, who was who grew up in the in this in this country and like that you know like we have there's definitely people who live in rural towns who uh you know live a provincial life but they not during a the most deadly they're thing not in the afraid, world right? yeah they're not afraid of someone coming and looting their house and infecting them at the same time yeah because there's no one for 100 miles around yeah like i know people who grew up literally 100 miles from the next person yeah yeah um, totally um my great grandmother included. Yeah. Um, but it's. I'm talking today too. Yeah. Like I've met people who like just came from the mid, literally the middle of absolutely nothing. Yeah. 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 That's that's where her house was. Um, yeah. People still live there. Yeah. Um, but it's. Oh shit! Sorry, I didn't. I didn't that's my, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, mean, like, <laughs> I, I misunderstood o- you. I'm sorry. She only died like four years ago. Oh right. Um. Right. So. Yeah, I think I think this for what this movie is a lot of kind of artsy atmospheric films put the characters leave the characters to the wayside a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they're just this set one, pieces. This one, this one mixes a lot of different horror moments into it where this one relies on you feeling bad for these people. Oh, you have to. Um, But also it's very atmospheric and artsy and you don't really have to get into the nitty gritty of who these people are so i think it does that beautifully where it balances like this ethereal like this we don't understand exactly what they're going through but yet it's close enough to home and they're likable enough people Mm -hmm. to where we're like yeah man uh, that fucking sucks like yeah like I would, I would compare it to or contrast it with uh, Midsummer, right? Midsummer, yeah. you know exactly one thing about every single person. They're very, they're tropes. They're very, yeah, just they're like, all caricatures, and they're nothing else. Yeah. You've, you've got, yeah, you've got like the shitty boyfriend. You've got um, the traumatized girlfriend. You've got um, the shithead who Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you've got, you've got just very like. It's almost like Search Party. You've got like the tropes of people. Yeah, yeah, and Search Party has more time to develop because it's TV. It's but, TV, yeah. but yeah, um, no, I, I see what you mean. Um, with this, you know at least three things about every single person, right? Yeah. Um, Will might be a liar. Um, Maybe, uh, yeah. W- Will is inc- either has a bad memory or is inconsistent or is a liar. But Will, Will is kind of charming, but maybe manipulative. Yeah. Was a construction worker, desperately in love with his wife, mm-hmm. and that like he's from like an Italian family in Connecticut, like. Yeah. I like that. Kim is uh, stoked on being a young mom. She loves that. Like that's it's a bullshit. It can be a bullshit trait to give a, a woman in a film, um, but in this one, I again we talked about. It, I understand it, but we know like I, I could go in through and list all of this, but we know multiple things about every yeah. single character. Yeah, we, definitely we even do. know stuff about Bud, who's in the movie for thirty seconds. Well, and I think how it how it also succeeds is it. We know all of these people. Yes. We know one of each, at least, of all of these people. We could, uh, you know, we've we've spoken with these people in 
restaurants, bodegas, in yeah. at concerts, like all of these things. So we feel like it, if it could happen to them, it could happen to us. They're not mm-hmm. these outlandish like people that we feel like we can't connect with. Yeah, no, the, so. no, no, nothing about them's outsized. Yeah, and by any means, it's very understated. Even yeah, uh, again, it's like, I think it's a very successful film. I think it's very well made. I just have my problems with it that are like, oh, for sure. It's and, not a perfect film. No, it's not. and one hasn't, well, other than the thing, one hasn't been made. <laughs> <laughs> Casablanca? Near perfect. It's my ah, favorite. But it's not perfect. There are moments. Okay. So speaking of the characters, I, I think it's kind of important um, to to end on a little happier note that is still an analysis note. This has been a heavy episode. Sorry, everybody. I mean, yeah, it's a heavy It's a heavy, it's a heavy movie. movie. It's yeah. really hard to I haven't been in the be... mood to joke about it because it's just, Ugh. I'm stressed out in my own life outside of this, and I, I this this movie is well, this depressing is, as fuck. It's a little prescient, too, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's a, a little, little too close. But yeah. here's how it's not. Okay, great. So this I'm is ready. a really nice thing. So there's a really great thing. Um, so... I don't think that Schultz believes this, so I'm not going to pin this on him. I'm just going to say that right now that I'm not accusing Schultz of this. I think he's doing these for story purposes, not for uh, real life mm-hmm. purposes, right? So a lot of people, Roland Emmerich, you know, look at, well, even, I anyway, a lot of people write post-apocalyptic films. Yeah. They assume that everybody's going to be at each other's throats, right? Like Lord of the Flies style. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. that people are going to be competing and the world is nasty and brutish and short and we have to take what's ours. It's a very capitalist mindset, right? Mm-hmm. It comes from this like um, classical liberal mindset. What it turns out is that's not how people react in crises. Nope. There's been wonderful research and uh, buried stories because it's not the fun narrative of the 24-hour news cycle. But like if you look at actual stories from Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. There wasn't looting. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. Everybody was helping each other out. Um, yeah. During, uh, uh, I think it was in the early part of the 20th century in San Francisco, massive earthquake, lots of fires, ruined the city. Everybody helped each other out. Well, even on a... And like, it, when you, every single time you look at one of these disasters, yeah, mutual aid is, the, is our go-to as humans. Yeah. We just immediately say... I'm helping, like, look at, uh, Raka, look at, um, um, there's a really good past podcast called The Women's War that talks about this too. Mm-hmm. Um, like, look at places in the Middle East that have been ruined by America that once we pulled out and things got shitty, they took care of themselves as much as they could or, and sometimes very successfully. Yeah, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't become this selfish thing. And even on like a smaller scale, I love hearing stories about, I mean, you know, people think that. People think all the time that, like, New Yorkers are rude, they're, you know, mean, they're just, you know, trying to get to their next... You're just slow. Um, But no, I love hearing stories about, um, like, if someone falls onto the tracks or gets stuck or, you know, like, I've seen so many heartwarming videos of how many... um, New Yorkers just will come to your aid. Like, even I personally saw a few few months ago that... um, I was I was about to go into the post office to drop something off and you know there there are long lines these days because not all post offices are big enough to hold a capacity of you Yeah, know. no, it's budget has been slashed, yeah. Yeah. Um so tons of people waiting outside in line. Um and all of a sudden we all see this dog just running. Mm-hmm. And two of um, the owners are running behind it like yelling like oh my like yelling its name. They ha- yeah. clearly have a leash in their hand like this dog clearly broke away from this leash 20 people that were standing in this line for who knows how long at this post office without even hesitation ran after the dog that's amazing yeah and they they got him they got him like a a block away they were you know i i don't know exactly how i had you know i i again as a new yorker i was like I stayed there until I I knew that the dog was was gotten because i just had to know that it was gotten (laughs) um but if I mean, I would have I would have gone running after it too. If I if I had been there at the right time, I just like walked in on it, and yeah. I was like, oh my god! Like I saw these twenty people like flee from this line, and I was like, what the what just happened? And it was this dog that was just like running down the sidewalk. It was like a cute little pit bull, Aww. and they they caught him like at the end of the block somehow. Someone did awesome. and and brought him back, and I was just like, oh my god! But like that. And then they all just filed back in line. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's what I'm talking about. It's like this, yeah. this, this movie is not reflective of like what real life is. And I just want to end that. That's the happy note yeah. I kind of wanted to put on. Yeah. Because it's about, um, 
it's about the end of one person's world or a personal world. Yeah. Right? Because it's about the death of his father and the death of a relationship and what that feels like, losing a parent. Mm -hmm. Especially at a younger age, too, you know? And after so much time spent away from them and so much time with animosity with them, that's what the movie's about Mm -hmm. and how that feels and putting that into the world. Yeah. But I like to, whenever we talk about something post-apocalyptic and you always see like factions and like everyone for themselves sort of vibes and like oh i actually know that that's not true because we've seen it the kick we've seen that in uh, uh covid times right stronger people, together yeah you people know have been helping each other out i see countless stories and countless in personal life and just like around i you know somebody who i used to think was a shithead mm-hmm. is now deeply involved in community aid helping the com- uh, community yeah and i think that's amazing but like strength in numbers and yeah, and, it's you know. it's humans. Ba- we we rally together in times of crisis, and I think that that's really nice. That um, is nice. And that it's, is a good night. A nice note to end on for this. Um, yeah, don't let movies lie to you. Yeah, yeah. So you guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod, and we're always at horrorbabespod.com. So until next time, stay safe, guys. I hope you're getting your vaccines if you are eligible and able to. Um, and, but in the meantime, wear that mask and we'll get through this together. Bye, Bye babes. babes.